0: Oh, man. I'm good.
1: Sorry I've missed so many it's been uh,
0: It's been a crazy time. Oh so. no no worry. I think it's um well I think uh, everybody's getting busy and there's more and more zoom talks and uh, i I know in yeah, the last I, uh, in the last two weeks I I, just, I I haven't attended all the zoom zoom talks that people propose so but I've been on the zoom i, w- I want to say seven hours a day or some or more. And it's like, yeah,
1: it's crazy, right? It's uh, it's the it's the new way of conducting business, unfortunately, because uh, it's it's what we have. But it's, I was having, I think I was having the, I was having a talk with Sonia. Is that it? This whole thing has been, this whole thing has been an, an exercise in people's management skills because everybody tends to just schedule things because they know you're available to work because you're always available to work. You're not, off. sorry. Hey. hey, at
0: least, uh, at least you have some medical vacuums are you.
1: <laughs> I had to get, I have to get my, uh, I have to get my, my, uh, my air conditioners clean today. Uh-huh. I, my landlord was, uh, quite prudent in reminding me that it had to happen this week. So, but yeah, no, everybody's, everybody's available because everybody's home. So it's like, it's, it's been an interesting
0: exercise for management, so I'm yeah, so, glad to be here. Yeah, uh, we don't have anything right now. Andrew's gonna maybe propose something.
2: Andrew, do you want oh, to sure. say? Um, for the, what you just proposed uh, just, just now, I was wondering if that could link into, last week I asked about uh, tapering for sort of youth summers, but more so in the context of a lot of us in the clubs here and in the schools here around the idea of, of tapering. Um, is, there, is there any point to doing a taper? Um, is it just more of just having a little rest before you compete? Um, how in in if you argue that yeah okay we can have a, a taper and there's a benefit to it, and um, um, how do you actually build it properly? I mean, we, a lot of us know uh, there's a drop of maybe four, uh, some say even twenty to sixty percent reduction over twenty one days, or you know there's a few of these kind of concepts out there. But how much work do these kids need to do to warrant? taking that time off, making that volume reduction? Or is it a case of they turn up three to seven times a week and before they have a competition, just give them a couple of days of, of rest? Um, you know, so it's kind of, because, you know, in our, you, you, you've been here, you know the kind of a context we're in. Uh, I think it's in the clubs as well as the schools. As soon as the holidays come around, they disappear for three weeks. You know, so what's the point in building up for a, for a taper that relies so much on the, the build-up um, if you know we, they, we lose them for such big big chunks of time so is there a better way of planning the season to get the most out and I wonder if that kind of goes back into what you mentioned about uh, how we can take the sport to the next level well if we look at the youth side of things is there is there a kind of um, uh, something we can do in the youth age group is, is trying to target tapering in the context that Olympians and elite level swimmers do is that what's needed to get the most out of our younger swimmers? Uh, especially in, when you think of the, biggest, the bigger context, you've got kids who are still playing multiple sports, they're not training twice a day, 14, 20 hours a week, you know? So I wonder if there's something that what you just said about your topic and about tapering, what I mentioned last week, if there's a way they kind of fuse together almost. All right, um, yeah, I think, I think
0: that would be great because uh, what, before some of you join, one of the questions that I proposed, and I didn't propose this, is Jimmy Tierney, that he coaches at a university in the United States, proposed it for the American group. And the, the thing that he said is, what will lead to the next break through, our, through in our sport? This, and you know, this could be general or struck specific And you're saying that we can link this into the tapering or something like that? Um... I think I think it's great. I think I think there's a, there's many unknowns with, papering or even coaching, you know, uh, and, and I think we're discovering more and more as we coach professional athletes, you know, and some people will tell you, oh well, these some of these guys have a great background, but some of the guys have no really good background and they're still thirty years old and competing at a high level, you know, um, so that's that's a very interesting topic. I don't know. I don't know if any, anybody wants to... I don't know if you, Andrew, have an idea of how you want to steer the conversation. To You know, I think to me... You know, I think, I think for example, this if we think right now, very quickly, this situation with the, with the COVID-19 will really make us think about changing the sport. Because as of right now, we may be limited with how many people we can coach at a time how long that's going to be for, you know. If you can only have uh, nine people at a time at the pool, you know, and instead of 24, but you need to ha- coach 24 people. So instead of like uh, two hours at a time, you might have to go 45 minutes at a time with each group to make most of it. And then maybe you have to have another station somewhere else that is dryland, or, you know. So, yeah, uh, that's, that's a big I think that's a big subject, like a big thought process that I think we're going to, um, before probably we can figure it out, some scientist is going to come out and tell us what we need to do. You know, somebody's going to be like, well, you know, the, the, now the science says that if you do this, you know. but I think, I think, I think we're going to have to be creative. You know? um, like right now, for example, for me, I only have one facility that I can train. I have three and a half hours a day that I can use, but that facility only has three
3: lanes and I can only practice one person at a time.
0: So how do I plan that?
3: Uh.
2: Well, Sergio, maybe the the question is, is tapering or kind of perfecting it or making it better for our youth swimmers so they kind of continue this idea of working towards a taper going through as they get older and educating our younger swimmers about it um, in a correct way is that the answer to uh enhancing the sport is 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 the taper where we can get more performance or is there other if, if it's not then what what other parts of the of the year or the cycles can we get more out of the swimmers or is it down to maybe uh, the sets we use and the exercises we use.
3: I think if, if we don't change anything
0: with the environment, like, or with the, because of the COVID, I think, I think that I, I, I value the taper as something important, you know, uh, because I think any anything that you do in life that is very stressful, uh, in order to assimilate it, you have to have a break of it or, or not a break or rest, you, you know, uh, mentally in uh, your nervous system or I don't understand what happens but you really need
3: I I really believe you need
0: rest you know so I think and that rest will be the taper for me in my opinion the taper part I I can educate the kids on you can play 12 weeks of cross country and maybe during those 12 weeks of of cross country you only practice two times a week where you do conditioning not conditioning uh, some technique when you're young the next 16 weeks you do swimming, you know, the next, you know, so you can do different sports, but there are lots of weeks, you know, where you have different seasons. And, and, and during those 16 weeks, I would still have a taper. Make sense? You know, and that's how I, my brain functions now. I, I don't know if I would change later on, but but that's how my, my brain will function. Because I really believe the taper, I would use, instead of taper, I would say, Rest or adaptation, or, or, you know, I don't know. Uh, what do you think, though, If you can talk.
1: I can. Um, you know, I think I think one of the the things that that we're gonna find is that the kids that have a uh, a more solid or more diverse athletic background are gonna be the ones that that are the most successful through this time, just because they. They've spent more time doing other sports, being active in, in different ways so that they, they're not pigeonholed into, into being, being an athlete because they're a swimmer. They're, they're an athlete because they're an athlete. One of the things that uh, I've been fortunate enough to play a part of here uh, is, is being, being integrated into uh, some athletic development um, programs uh, through various sports and and applying it and the kind of the way that i that i I set out that thought was that we want to we want to develop athletes at a young age so that swimming is considered the best place for a kid to develop athletically regardless of whether they stay in the sport or not so if we are able to provide them with a better foundation for for athletic development through movements of knowing how to squat knowing how to use use their body put their body in different shapes not only are we giving them a better ability to make changes and adapt by putting their body in different shapes in the water and, and by creating different shapes on land, we're also giving them an ability to be successful if they choose that swimming's not their sport, right? So that that's one side of it. The I think the better athletes are the are, are the ones that are doing more sports when they're younger. So if they choose to swim, they're gonna have a little bit higher of a of a tendency to be successful in swimming later on because naturally they've they've developed just a different base of of movement capabilities. And, and as far as like the taper, the taper effect, right. It's um, a really smart man once told me that it's not really a, uh, it's not really getting faster. It's just sharpening. It's, it's letting, it's letting your nervous system recover more than it's letting your body recover. Because when you get to the, when you get to a meet, your body's put through, put through hell right cuz we ask them to swim sometimes double the volume over 3 days that they would normally swim in 3 days or you know they're they're, they're warming up racing warming down pre race warm up all this stuff so it, it's really allowing their nervous system to to readapt to be able to fire quicker stuff like that more than it is just like actual recovery of the muscular system or anything like that um, but I, I, I look at that a little bit differently. I, I, I fully agree with Sergio. Like, I, rested, I rested kids two to three weeks without hesitation when they were you know 16 years old. And I had no problem with it. And I know Sergio used to go longer, right? I think Sergio and I uh, had that talk. Four, four to five weeks with my younger kids always. I... Yeah. And, and I, don't hesitate. I don't hesitate to rest. I don't think resting is a bad thing. I think there's a difference between resting and tapering. Because it, it's like it, it's those two those have two very different connotations in in swim coaches' minds. Those have two di- very different connotations in athletes' minds. But in in terms of like sports performance, when we're talking about moving from phases from general physical preparedness to uh, to sports or specific physical preparedness of sports sports system to a competition cycle in terms of you know I guess periodization or just you know phases of of training you know those two things occur almost simultaneously so they don't occur I, I haven't actually haven't heard those things occur anywhere outside in athletics outside of track and swimming but um I think it's I think it's an interesting topic because I I don't think it's problem resting kids I think where you get in get into a problem is where you don't you don't teach him how to do things well enough and you don't simulate them and give them the skills and the ability to actually perform when the, when the time comes. Cause one of the things that, that I, I thought Sergio, you know, when, when he and I met, when he was at bowls, one of the things he did was those guys swam fast all the time. You know, I remember him and he and I were talking about Santo getting up and going, What was it like 43 or 44 at the end of practice and hundred free. And, and it was, that was the expectation. And, and that was at the end of a really hard practice, and, and Sergio would remember that story much, much better than much more clearly than I would. But you, you enable the kids to go fast because you do things right,
0: not because taper happens. Yeah, I, I think so. I think I'm not saying that I do the things right. I think uh, <laughs> like I, I try like every other coach, but I, um, I really, yeah, I really. You try to teach the kid that the, the sport. We're in the business of if you think about it. In swimming, for many years, we decelerate people. You know, we take the speed out of people. You know, when a kid comes up to you in in September, right after vacation, that kid has his top speed. Absolutely has. It. With you know. The kid gets in the water and feels strange and bad because has been out of the water for four weeks and he's a medium the, the, the person can, you know, it's like when you walk, you know, you can run all the time, you can walk all the time, but you don't swim all the time, you know, in the water all the time. And then we start training, you know. And two weeks later, three weeks later, that kid has less speed because we decelerate people with the training. Do I make sense? You know, so, so as coaches, you, you always have to think about how can I do all the all the changes and adaptations and all the stuff that I need to do without decelerating my athlete so much so my athlete understands the speed always at the highest level?
3: When we were young, you know,
0: in, in, in the middle of the season, I remember a month before, you know, I broke the world record one time, even though I cannot claim it because I got second in the race and I got beat, you know. But the world record was 2-12-9 two, two, two and I went 2-12-2. Two, two so a month before that, my training partner, that also broke the world record, went two eleven nine at that meet, and we were training partners. A month before at a meet, we went two twenty seven, two twenty seven. We swam so hard. I came out of the water, my coach is just swearing at me, "What the f have you done?" And oh, I'm wasting my time sitting here. And you and my training partner and I, we look at one another thinking, and both of us we went two twenty seven. And a month later, he goes two eleven nine. I go 212. 2. So, at that moment, I was totally decelerated. I couldn't move. I tried so hard. You know, psychologically too, it wasn't the same competition that was going to be a month later. But I went there to, to give my best because I always wanted to give my best in the competition. So, if you think about about that, you know, uh, swimming is a sport that we have a tendency of decelerating people. And you have to make make sure that you teach them how to understand speed and how to keep growing and getting faster and stronger, but not pulling them out back all the time. I don't know if I make sense with that, but that's a, it's an important concept. People are afraid. Coaches in the past were afraid that if you were swimming fast in season, that was wrong. Yeah.
4: Well, you know, Serge, I think that's
1: that's a great point because like, look at the fastest swimmers in the world. And... They're they're able to be fast consistently across across a season. They don't have th- those moments where where they show up and they completely are just slow are are very very rare now. And I think I, like I really think it's a challenge. And I think it, I, I think it's a great challenge. I, I think back to my time working with some of the athletes that I had in the past, and you know the the concept that, that we always tried to carry is is why can't we be world class athletes once a month continue to ramp up training and still get faster at the end of the year and i remember i had it i had a young man who uh who you know he was he would he started out the 2017 long course season by going 214 and that was a really good swim and you know the next month 212 the next month 212 he uh he he was able to make a team going 212 and it was like two twelve nine, two twelve seven, two twelve four, and then in that was in June, end of June, and end of July, he uh, his hundred got a little bit faster, and his two hundred went to eleven, and then the next month, Junior Worlds went to ten and one, and uh, but like I don't think it's impossible to be fast all the time and still get faster at the end of the at the end of the year. It's just I think there there is a certain ebb and flow to training cycles, allowing the athlete to to recover so that you can get more out of them over the next brief training cycle and continuing that flow. So there's constant progression throughout throughout the season, throughout their their time, and and still the effect of periodization that you can get on them with a big drop at the end of the season. Going from, I mean, going from from two eleven nine and a best time at the, in August at the start of August, end of July to 2-10-6 to uh, at the end of August is th- – those are solid drops. But, I mean, why can't we be fast all the time and still get faster at a championship meet? Uh, I think the college se- season is a little bit different because you have so many dual meets and they're at different times. But if, if we're in the situation which most of us are in uh, over on this side of the world – competition once a month or once every two months why can't you be great and then get better when it counts
0: uh, so the college the college season is a little bit different but if you swim 15 meets uh, in a period of three months 14 of those meets are without a suit you know so that that makes a big difference you know and more with the girls so you, you can see big drops with the girls just by putting a suit you put a suit in, you put a girl in a suit and you make her like a sausage and- <laughs> you know, between the legs and the body, and that person floats, you know. So so it's that's a little different. If you look nowadays, most of the swimmers, when they go to a meet, they use the fast suit, you know. And age groupers and, and the pros, that, they do that all the time. So not many,
3: you
0: know, in America nowadays, the only group that doesn't use suits all the time are the college guys. You know, that's going to change pretty soon you know, but uh, I think I think one of the things that we can talk about, uh, you know, even though I have a long taper, I think one of the reasons why the kids have a tendency of swimming fast all the time is because the way set up the, 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 the cycles of the season, it's not just I have four weeks of aerobic work when I pound the crap out of the kids and physically they get exhausted and then mentally they're bored, they're bored out of their mind.
3: So, you know, we have
0: a, a, a two-day, three-day cycle twice a week where one day you go uh, power speed, the next day you aerobic, the next day you go race pace. And with all those changes, I don't think there's an adaptation in the way that is negative. You know, you, you're stimulating the body so differently every day that the, the, the kids keep keep getting faster and faster and faster and faster. You know, and you can do more work, more volume every time until a certain point, and they keep getting faster and faster and faster.
3: I don't know.
2: Uh, what do you think, Andrew? Hey, so I, I didn't want to jump, jump in and interrupt. I just wrote down a like a, a thought process as you've both been talking. It, it's been great, um, great answers and feedback. Um, what I was starting to think then is to your original question, how do we develop the, develop the sport? Or is understanding what, both what you just described, uh, the, the key to unlocking, that, unlocking more potential from the sport. We might not be looking at, um, it dep- I think as well, the question depends on are we trying to improve the sport by breaking more world records at the top end, or are we trying to improve the sport that swimmers can swim fast all year round? Whereas a lot of the focus is on, I mean, in British swimming, it's all about building up, getting your qualifying time in the window around April time, and that's where the national age groups and also for any big, big meets like Europeans and stuff in the summer. Um, and then you, you perform well in the summer. But it kind of, to me, it's taken away that focus on just, you know, we used to just race all the time, have arena leagues and different competitions through the year so if the question is well we might we might get world records as a result but ultimately improving the sport and taking the sport further is that we get uh people and kids racing fast all the time and at their best all the, kind of all the time um and how do we get that well it, i think as as doug mentioned that athletic ability uh, makes you a lot more durable to be able to do that um so yeah just kind of trying to get the thought process and how how we kind of Answer the question. Right. Yeah, but, but I also think, think about this.
0: I think that a lot of the federations are working against the, the, how the, the cultures of their countries are developing. And that's a big problem.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, it's, it's, you know, you, you cannot think the same way that 20 years ago, you can't, because the youth doesn't think that way. The only, consist, the only, the only consistent part that we have in America for the last at least thirty years that i've been here is that they think they think that they're the best, no matter what, and also they love going fast and, and, and racing and challenging every day so that's that's a that's a plus right but nowadays, the kids are so stimulated with with facebook with Instagram with so many things that they can do it's it 's so accessible to Used to do a course online uh, to learn how to play piano. You don't even have to travel somewhere. So the kids have so many options in their lives. They either we adapt to those options or some sports are gonna disappear. Like for example, at balls, the the cross country coach always came up to me and said, hey Sergio, anybody, any one of your swimmers that wants to run cross country, they're more than welcome. They don't have to come to our practice. You know, you know, maybe on a Saturday or whatever, one day they don't have practice. They can come and meet the team. We'll teach them how to run a little bit of the courses. But they're so fit that I know that they're going to be fun. And you know, naturally, some kids like to, to run. So every year we had kids to swim and run cross country. And our cross country team was one of the best in the state of Florida. Rowing. Rowing in America, you know how many coaches call me uh, when I was at Bolton and saying, hey, Sergio, if a swimmer doesn't get a scholarship to go to college, just tell them to call me, and I'll give them a full scholarship. He said, well, what about they never row? Don't worry. They understand because the sport is very cyclical, too. It's, it's, very, it's very similar to swimming. And they have, swimmers don't have a problem understanding how to be rowers. And they can have a free education. They can save $200,000, $300,000 in four years. You know how many people do that? Many. So it's understanding the culture of, of things. For us, I grew a team from 200 to 500, because in, in two years, because I tried to change things. I couldn't do 9,000 meters a uh, practice. How to do less. How to give freedom to the kids to do other sports. Makes sense? And and that's because the society is, is what's given to the kids. And I, I believe, I'm a believer in that, you know. And you can have, uh, look at it right now on, yeah, but, you know, yeah, I was going to say something wrong now, but I, I, something politically wrong. So I, I, I need to stop there. But... um. But, uh, but yeah, I think, I think every federation should understand the way that the social environment is changing has changed.
3: And those guys that are
0: running those federations, they need to think about how they can make the best out of how the, the, the society is moving. You cannot think that a federation that has 4,000 athletes in a country of 30 million people is going is to change the way people think. Make
3: sense? There's certain things that you cannot change. You have to adapt. Yeah. So, anyone? Hey Sergio, when you were when you were at bowls, um, what kind of um, I would say, athletic features would your kids have? Were they like the cream of the crop? Were they already fit, or were they just average, normal kids? We had kids from six years old to eighteen years old, so we had a full spectrum. You know, I had
0: nineteen coaches on my staff,
3: so it was a pretty big uh, operation in
0: that, in that sense. Um, I had always kids. You know, I had kids coming from China because they were students. They, they thought that they were swimmers because they they and they put in their application that they were swimmers, and then they come they they, they joined the team. And they barely can do twenty-five, you know. And I remember every year or every two years, I had one or two of those Chinese kids that I put them in one lane and they gather, and because you know sometimes I make them quit because not make them quit because, but some other times I had kids that they stayed and they got better. They loved it, you know, because they were disciplined and they wanted to do this. So I had all the whole spectrum, but most I had most from mid, medium to good swimmers swimmers in the, between the ages of 14 to 18 makes sense but we had to develop everything from kids to pretty much learn to swim
3: to to the top yeah. then um to add on to that uh, to andrew's question earlier uh, when we talk about taper right so America's been known to do the double taper um all the time How? at what age group do they start um you know preparing the kids for this double taper. it, it doesn't straight away start from college, right? They do practice earlier? Yeah, I think, I think for example, naturally, uh, high school is probably
0: the, the high school, it's the first time that you do double taper, probably, in a more organized way in America. Now, for example, high school in America goes from grade ninth to 12th, right? But in Florida and other states, you can have kids in junior high, so 6th, 7th, or 8th grade, they can't participate if they're fast enough. So in Florida, in my team, I had, like my daughter made a high school team when she was in 7th grade or 6th grade. You know, she, instead of having four years of high school, she had seven years of high school competition, you know. So, so they learned very quickly how to have uh, double peak periodizations. Why? Because the high school season starts in August, Right. Like the USA swimming season finished August 15th, more or less, in the past. The high school season started August 10th, so they overlap, right? So let's say you start August 10th, you train all the way until November, there's the high school stadium, right? In that, I would have four weeks at least of taper, you know? And a month later, we had junior nationals. And junior nationals goes from any age until the age of 18. Make sense. So I could take kids 12, 13, 14, 15. So for us, uh, that was that was a given. You know, it was part of the, how things were structured. Later on, you know, in my in balls, we had between December until March, then we had the sectionals or some other competition, and sometimes we didn't fully taper or not, but with a lot of the foreigners or kids that wanted to make national teams, we taper and see where they were, try to make national teams, right? Or if we taper for sectionals, maybe a month later they had the nationals, so we had to do another mini taper or double periodization there. But in the summer, you have that too because every year the U.S. national team has nationals in June or July, and a month later there is junior worlds, uh, junior panpacs, uh, uh, world championships, uh, world university games. So you know, so you do that in high school already a couple of times. You know, and then when you go to college, you did for sure between the conference and the NCAAs, there's always a month. The times to qualify for NCAs are very fast. Like if you look at the times when everybody has shave and paper, maybe there's only six, pers- six people in the 100 breaststroke that make the ACAD. And they normally take anywhere between 27 to 30 of consumers. So, you know, the closest people to the cut get to go to the meet. But most of the people have already tapered. 98% of the people have tapered to try to qualify for the mean. So that's another double peak periodization. So it's a very, it's a cultural thing. It's a very
3: thing that you do here. It's set up our way. Make sense? So then to, to, to follow that up, would it, uh you know when we're talking about swimming fast all the time and and pushing them with what, what did you see any differences between the kids who probably rested a little bit more train a bit harder uh rather than maybe like every month doing some sprints uh not not some sprints, like competitions uh like racing hard every month as opposed to resting a little bit more um and focusing more on training I think I think I think you become more selective of the
0: events that they're gonna swim before the big meets, you know. At the beginning, you know, and I always use the the meets as race-based days, you know. So we had we have meets in America that you have in you know, a weekend. You have between prelims and finals. They can swim twenty four events plus relays in three days, you know. And then you can do that maybe in October, but if you're gonna swim in December. A big meet yeah you don't want to do that in november you know what i mean so you have a tendency of working through that and you know and, and making sure it's like it's like when you taper you know maybe three months before the competition you were doing 31 hundreds and two two months before the competition you're doing uh 18 and one month before the competition you're doing nine you know what i mean so it's the same idea with the competition you know and that's something that as as you get closer to the competition you in a way specialise a little bit more in what you want the kid to keep racing so their main events, I would say. So.
3: Hey Sergio, with um with the taper, what
2: sort of um stuff do you do with your with your guys or you have done in the past that looks more um I like the psycho the psychology to the taper. Like um for me in, in my context, so much of this kind of t- taper or race preparedness comes into raising the level of, of belief. Um I saw a good good quote or someone said to me, I can't remember when, uh that actually the, the taper especially in I, I find this fits in my context a lot, is the reduction of fatigue and the increase in belief. And that, that's pretty much the answer to it and it's the tricks I play in the sessions to make the kids believe that they you know they're on fire they're sharp and they're ready um, and also is there a way that with all this this idea around racing more I mean in, in Singapore the kids don't race that much I, I don't think um, especially not like short sharp kind of meets. Um and what I find it does is you can when they're training the kids can train hard uh, and you can ask them like an RPE, for example, and they could rate it quite hard. What I don't think they're able to, to cope with as well, is I'm watching my kids in particular, is kind of like a rate of perceived stress. So when they get behind the block in a big meet, it all comes kind of crashing down on them a little bit. Uh, so they know how hard they've got to work, but at the same time, they're not able to kind of um, process that kind of like psychological pressure and stress. Um, and I think that's from like lack of experience in in racing, um, so I guess yeah, the, those two points. Is there how much of the taper would you say is on the psychological side, and again, is this something that we need to exploit more to get more out of the sport? And then, is is there something behind working on a scale or something that looks at uh, the mental side of perceived stress and how they cope with it better on race days? I think. Performance is about the psychological side. You can have a
0: guy that physiologically has done everything perfectly and a person that has done a 30% of that. But the person that has done 100% physiologically goes to the competition and doesn't believe that he can win. And the other person knows or thinks that he's the best thing or she's the best thing they got put on earth. And that person is going to win. There's no hesitation on that. And many coaches scratch their heads and don't understand that. I think psychology is number one on planning during the hard season. During the Everything is about the psychology. Life is about psychology. There's a couple of things about mathematics, psychology. Those things I think are given. You know? So when you start tapering or resting, then you may need to be a little bit sharper with some kids because some kids may be accepted the way – you said, okay, we've got to go through this, through this, through this, through this. But when you rest, you're going to be resting very well. And they're expecting that maybe, you know, I have some kids that I might give them three days off. Don't come. You take a Friday, Saturday, su- Sunday, and Monday off, and I'll see you Tuesday. And they love. It. And other kids said, I cannot do that because if I take that away from them to come every day, they're going to, you know. So you have to play with that. And, and you have to be. And if you create a good atmosphere, a good environment with the team, they won't get jealous because somebody's not coming and, and and you have to come. You know you know what I mean? Uh, you have to give them ownership of that. If somebody comes up to me and says, hey, Sergio, why you give Jimmy three days off and I have to come every day? He says, look, I thought that you, ne- you needed more. Mo- you want to take three days off? Take three days off. It's okay. And sometimes you're just rolling the dice. <laughs> but if if they believe it, and if, the, if if there's a mistake, so, then after the meet, you can say, look, remember when you asked me to miss this many practices because Jimmy was missing this many practices? Jimmy is different than you. And you have to understand that. So maybe you miss too many because you're not that type of... And then psychologically, you also went to the meet doubting that you were 100%. So you have to play that game all the time. You know? I think the way it works is the way you Athletes trust on you and believe in you. And if you can be there, you know, I've seen so many coaches, and I've said that a lot in, in, in Asia, that when the kid doesn't swim well, the coach doesn't have an expression. He's standing over there, and the kid goes by, and some of them get scold. That's not the way you give confidence to the kid. Sometimes you have to smack them and sometimes you have to take responsibility or explain things eh, so you can gain their trust. You know? Now, if I go to a street fight, you know, I want somebody next to me, not the strongest person. I want somebody next to me that will not hesitate if he has to kill somebody. You understand? Because if, if we're going to die, I need that. I don't need the strongest person that at the moment they... Things that danger is coming and I'm not sure if I can do this it's going to walk away you know and that's our trust you know? so I think I think
2: that's a very important thing.
0: Now, what was the other question?
2: Oh, sorry it was um, is doing more on like the race day side of things. Um, you know we, we've used things like RPE in training sessions so to, to the kids can rate how hard they're working or their perceived effort or exertion. Um, but
3: rarely or have I done it
2: and actually thought about the rate of like perceived stress I don't even think it is a thing um, but like the mental impact on what's going on like the, the thought processes you know when you stand behind a block and all these thoughts come into your head um, you know when when does that level of stress get higher is it in the marshalling room is it 15 minutes whilst you're warming up uh, is it when you're stood behind the blocks and if, if that's the case and we, you know, if kids are able to actually say, actually, I find it most stressful when I'm behind the block. You know, what systems can we put in place to help them cope with that more? Is it race and more, um, race simulations? And then we, and you've got like visualization, things like that, that we can add in as well. But I just wonder what, what have you talked through with some of your summers in the past to kind of help them with that, you know, the voices in the head um, and the stresses leading up to a race you know one of the things that i try to tell the coaches
0: and the association in singapore that they should allow to do is to create competition between clubs you know and not having to have set up like such a a, a competition where it's like a fina like competition that either you're in a ready room and this and that and you know it's a big competition and you have eight nine ten years old they get disqualified because they walk the wrong way to to the blocks they move because they're nervous, and they get disqualified. That's 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 so unhealthy. You're not teaching anything.
3: But for example, even if the
0: swimming association doesn't allow you to do meets in a certain way, if I was there in a club, in a club or in a school, I would call another school or another club and say, "Look, we have this weekends free every month. Let's set up a, a competition, like an unofficial competition. When we call it." If your school has green colors and the other school has red colors, the green and red tournament, you know. And you set up competition on a Saturday, the last two hours, that each kid is going to do some race-based training, and you simulate what a big competition is going to be, or, well, you know, and put them in that type of stress, that it's a practice. makes sense? And kids have fun. You know, after the, after the competition, you can have all the parents have brought food and all the both teams can sit together and have a pizza or whatever it is. But you create a situation where you have competition and competition. Mm-hmm. Like we created a balls. I created this this cup called the Orange and Blue Cup. And we separated the team. And you have to, you were always orange or you were always blue. And we competed randomly too. And we had a lot of competitions, but we competed so the coaches could teach the kids, hey, you know, let's race. This 18-year-old could be with it. 10 year old and teach the kids how to think how to go hey we have to win you have to do this you have to do that You know, and and create that that sort of environment and it's up to you to create that make sense there's no there's no system the the associations and all these they always find hurdles oh we cannot do that oh we need officials oh we need this who cares you gotta do what you gotta do internally to make sure that you make the best athletes so when you have a 12 year old kid or 10 year old kid that goes to the uh the time trial in february
2: doesn't get disqualified because he's nervous and has never been in a situation like that you know yeah, I mean? it's quite quite um I, it always struck me when i first got here and i don't think it, it's not like anyone's fault it's just there's um there's very little of those kind of like fast no hold on uh, hold on hold on it's you guys fault <laughs>
0: Yeah, oh, no, yeah. it is your guy's fault. You have to change it. You cannot You've change. Got- you have a swimming pool. Do you have a swimming pool? Yeah. All right. And uh, Coach Alex has another swimming pool. Uh, yes, yes. Get together. all one. Yeah. Doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, get together. Oh, Roland has a swimming pool. Whatever. Get together. Doesn't matter. Doesn't have to be an official 50 meter pool. It could be a 15 meter pool. And create competition. Teach the kids how to. Think about a team, uh, race, not be afraid of stand-up, being able to cheer for everybody. Hey, I have, I have, like, for example, when we were at Bulls, some of the kids had Joseph Schooling in their team, and the other ones had Ryan Murphy in their team. And you have a guy that still is not an Olympic champion, but he's made the national team or has broken so many national records and hugging the little kid, hey, let's go beat these guys that they're not that good and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah and trash talk or whatever in America, right? you know, in Singapore, probably they don't do that. No? But, uh, so the, the 10-year-old and the 11-year-old, they start growing, like, wow. They start understanding, hey, I'm going to step on the blocks, and because these people are behind me, I'm going to do it. You know? And it's a thought process that you create.
2: You know? We have... Um so we've got the international schools have got a like a sprint league, and it's like a two-hour competition three times a year, and it, it, it's been going really well. We want it to kind of expand into the into clubs as well uh, to try and get more of that. It, yeah, it's something that I felt was missing when I was when I got here nearly a decade ago. It's something I felt was missing, and we, I think we've been we've got it going about three years now. Um That's awesome. You have to. Be- you have to be innovative without, without going against the rules, you know,
0: whatever you do in your own home, doesn't have to be official. You know, it's, it's a practice time, but it's a competition practice time. Ed. But then again, uh, sorry. Um,
5: I mean, obviously having all those small competitions and doing lots of sprints, we agree And, uh, like, Looking at Katinka Hosu, like, she wasn't always, like, really on a high level. Like, when she was growing up, I I know her personally. Um, She was racing usually maybe once or twice a month. And the difference actually occurred and happened when she moved to the U.S. And after she started working with uh, Shane, I mean, he's not my my favorite, like, uh, say, person in the world, but I admire the fact that he managed to get the maximum out of her. And uh, that with all those races that she did throughout the year, she managed to actually switch. uh, That was amazing. So I think racing a lot and doing all those meets, doesn't matter whether it's a high level or just uh, low level or medium level, whatever, Competition you do as long as you go there and you you put your things as, things aside and and you, all your hard work and you just focus on your race and not really thinking about how tired you are and uh, what's gonna happen to you in the next race or tomorrow as long as you put everything into that like one race that you do or a few races so at the end of the day I think like that's that's what is missing here and yeah you are absolutely right Andy Everyone else who is saying that we don't get enough uh, races
0: yeah but i think I think that's a solution that you can you 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 can have you, you can create situations to change that you know and and I, I think it's up to you, like I can tell you that with my experience when I was in Singapore i don't know now they will not going they were not going to change and create more competitions for people like without having to be so organized and so this and so that, because they think that certain things have to run a certain way. But if there's 36 clubs, I don't know how many there are, but I think when I was there, there, was, there were 36 clubs. And the first year, five of them started doing something. The next year, uh, 10 of them. Uh, and six years on the road, there's 36 clubs creating some sort of competition to that. that. The association is going to create something first, Because it's going to have to, wants to help every club to do, to get better. And they've seen the results of having higher level of competition. Second, maybe it means more money for them. You never know. You know, when the kids paying dues for to swim, to race, to all this. So, you know, it's like the same thing that we were talking about adapting to the culture. You know, the federations adapt to the culture of the countries. You know, how they evolve. Well that's one trend that without having to complain people doing the right thing for their own teams and changing the level of competition to keep moving up
3: uh, you have
0: very smart people in the association doing all that and they can they, you know they can be like whoa, something is changing you know i don't know i'm just throwing that out there you know? and 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 also for the taper now that he was talking about katinka you know when i was a swimmer um, they started with kind of like the World Cup uh, uh, idea. And I remember going, going from Sheffield to Edinburgh, from Edinburgh to uh, Sweden to, I don't remember where it was, but you would go from one place to another. And the, all those competitions happened after a big competition, uh, after maybe World Championships or something like that. And people were swimming up close to World Records. You know, we, you know, they already had their taper, and now they're traveling for two, two weeks, three weeks to different places. That they're swimming, and trust me, one thing: we party more, and we shouldn't tell this to the kids, but we party more in between competitions than than swim. We'll be at a nightclub,
3: you know, after swimming in
0: Edinburgh, you know, all drunk and partying, and two days later we move to Sheffield, and da, 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 and a day later. We competed there and people are swimming fast. Brock Santos, for example, broke national records for the US in the brushstroke when a few days before we were at a club. You know what I mean? And you have seen that. You you experienced it, Andrew, as an athlete, and we cannot tell our swimmers that we did that because we can But so just think about those moments where you saw some things that were like, whoa, this doesn't make any sense, you know? I already had my main meet. Now, I'm just going to these meets to make some money, or to da-da-da-da. And I'm swimming faster than I did at World Championships or European Championships.
5: And Sergio, have you become more confident athlete after all these meets? Or, like, when you went to, like, Nationals or uh, Europeans or World Champs or whatever, like, like not those uh, World Cup Series kind of meets?
0: I think those World Cup Series or those meets like that, because I did a lot of those, uh, they were not walk up at, you know, because of my country, I was, after Europeans or World Championships in the summer, they would pay me to go to meets and to, more than anything, promote swimming, you know, and I saw almost broke national records, you know, being, having, drinking and partying the night before, huh? and, uh, and before that, I wouldn't do it, you know, before European Championships, maybe for five months, I didn't go out, you know what I mean? So I learned that I needed to more relaxed one of the things that happens at the level of Katinka, or at the level of when you are that high is that you lose ownership of who you are you know? like you don't do swimming for you
3: even though you think
0: you do you have the responsibility of the federation that is paying your scholarship and it's pushing you one way maybe the club my club was paying me a lot of money and like that i was supporting my family you know so i had to do certain things then you have the press oh, Sergio Lopez went to a meet and swam like crap, and oh, he's out of shape. And they didn't expect that maybe a month later you break the European record or you do something when it's important. So with all those, you lose ownership of you are, And that happens at all levels. Huh? You think in Singapore, you have an eight-year-old kid they loves to swim, right? Huh? And they go and they start swimming so fast and they go to the meets and it's like, everybody's like, wow, look at the stars. So then the parents become so cocky. Oh my my child is so good
3: and, da, 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 and blah blah blah.
0: And now the kid hears every day at home. Oh uh you know, Lee, Lee Kuan Yew Yu is gonna be an Olympic champion. So
3: oh we're so proud and oh da, 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 and you know and this kid loses
0: ownership of who he is and doesn't go to the pool anymore to have fun. You know what I mean? So that's a very thin line. And I think I learned a lot in those competitions how to understand it. I wasn't myself a month before. I didn't have to go out and drink, absolutely. But I think just being having fun, being somewhere without thinking, not really training, allowed me to compete at a high level. So it's it's a complicated it's a complicated issue. I think that's
6: one of the biggest issues, especially with age group swimming. I know it is here in Australia that. Kids, well coaches in particular and parents forget that swimming's a sport and that's supposed to be a fun activity and I think sometimes and I'm guilty of this too sometimes you get so uh, entwined in all the the science of things and the the competitive side of yourself that you kind of forget to to enjoy it and have fun and I think what we've kind of been talking about here is finding ways to make the sport fun and I think for most kids racing is supposed to be fun but there's so much pressure around it like you're saying from parents and from coaches and from their friends and stuff that I know a lot of my athletes will often come and tell me that I love coming to training but
5: I I don't really want to race because it's just too stressful or I, I don't enjoy it and it's
6: um I think some of this uh like you're talking about these these leagues and and things like the ISL and um we've got some similar ones starting up down here as well that I think are gonna help sort of bring that enjoyment back into the racing side of um swimming where it's um it's not just all your eggs in one meet at the end of the the season where oh if I don't perform then I've done all this work for nothing. It's hey, let's race all the time, let's enjoy racing and um, get back
0: to the actual fun side of, of the sport. I, I agree with you. I think one of the ways, to just think about this. You have a 15-year-old kid that is training and loves to train, but also sacrificing their social life, you know, and all their friends are like, hey, you know, they don't swim in school. Oh, we're going to go to this party or we're going to go to this place after school. Are you going to come? No, no, I got to go train. I got to go train. I got to train because I got I to gotta make I gotta go 110, so that will qualify me for the Sea Games. I'm just giving you an example. So the, the, his his, tip, his friends don't really understand that, you know. Th- sometimes they're gonna give him shit, and they're gonna say, "Well, you know, why are you working so hard for what?" You know, da da, da 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 da. So then the guy goes to the competition, and the cut is 110 eight, and he goes 111 or 110 nine, and doesn't qualify for the Sea Games. So now. The coach is upset. Most of the coaches will be upset. The parents don't understand. My son is not going to go and all the hard work. The kid is already upset. But now he goes out with his friends on the weekend, the non-swimmer friends. And those people that he really cares for them are going to say, without really meaning it in a bad way, why are you doing all this for one tenth of a second? You didn't make it, and you miss this party. You miss this movie. You miss this, and <laughs> then you have a big problem. You know, you have it's it's like it's like a mountain. Da, 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 da. And like you said, Alex, we have to make sure that we don't we don't live through the kids. You know, you have to make sure that you live through the kids the way you wanted to be treated when you were a kid. You you wanna you, you know fun. Being the best is not fun, and you have to teach them that.
3: You know, when you train
0: hard, it's not fun. It's, it's hard work. But not every day you have to be miserable by doing that hard work. You know what I mean? And sometimes you can tell your kid, hey, go to the movies with your friends. You deserve it. Go. Instead of like, oh, no, you know, I have to come to practice. And you see the kid sat at practice and it's like, hey, what's going on, Alex? It's like, Phew. you know, again, I have to come to practice when my friends are doing something like that. You should tell him, hey, Alex. Next time, tell me. And you can go with your fans. You work so hard. You deserve it.
3: You know. So. I think, yeah, I you, to add on to that, I, I think that's a, that's a good way to, you know, to look at it. Because I, I realized that the, the kids who are closest to me and work the hardest for me, uh, I mean for themselves, of course, but for the, for the, you know, for the swim, are those who, when, when I talk to the parents, I'm like, you know, just give them a day off. You know, let them rest or... If they have exams, you know, you kind of just get yourself and uh, understand the situation. And the parents will, you know, will be more willing to listen and then the kids will also be more willing to work, hard for you, uh, work harder. So, yeah, like, like you say, it's true.
0: Yeah. Because one of the things you've got to teach
3: people is about quality, not quantity, you know.
0: It's about having fun when well, you need to have fun. And it's, if you every day go out, at one point how many times we've done that we've gone out three times a week and we have no fun we get home at two in the morning and it's like what the heck have i done you know i didn't pick up a woman i didn't dance with anybody i and i'm i'm going to bed alone you know so it's like that's quality is better on quantity. you have to teach the kids that but also it's not so much when the parents study you have to understand each kid and sometimes you have to tell the kid hey, Maybe tomorrow, don't come to practice. Just go and do what you need to do. You know, Go and have fun. Go. I think that's, that's a great point. Um, I wanted to
1: thank everybody. Sorry, I have to run through another meeting, but thank you, Serge. It's great to see you guys. Thank you so much for having me today. Um, I look forward to next time. Awesome, Doug. Have fun. Take
0: care, guys. Uh, I think there was something from Roland uh,
4: you you want to talk, Roland, about all this? Oh, uh, I, I was, I was saying originally uh, in Singapore, it's not that there is no small meets available. It's just that um a lot of times, a lot of these small meets they are very restrictive. They keep to their own groups, in that sense. So it's it's becoming like, when you see it, it's it's becoming like oh, you only have this this number of meets because they are not. Not uh, actually announced in a way, and also a lot of times also because um most of the meets will be clustered in the holiday months. So during those months that are non-holidays, uh, a lot of times you don't see meets available. It's not because it's not, but it's because I think also because of the education system in Singapore. A both parents will be worried. okay. This month, exams are coming. I have to stop them. I have to, we cannot go for this. We cannot go for that. So, you talk about meets actually. Like, um, for the last two years, I could go in for like 12 to 14 meets a year. Okay, I mean, uh, big and small, uh maybe even more. Okay. Um. Depending on the age, group, but in general, it's about there. So, um, is is like how we we, we want to get people to receive us or allow us to come in, things like that, or maybe just get to know ourselves, make ourselves known to them. Uh, or,
0: but one of the things that I'm talking to, like, I understand the restrictions in Singapore, for example, with education, absolutely. But let's say that you normally have six practices a week. And doing exams, you only have three practices You can still have a competition, one of those three practices. We can you can. You can create during the two-hour practice a competition where you teach your kids certain things. And maybe even more fun for the kids to do that <clears throat> than than in, in your own club. You don't have to travel to another club. You know what I mean? And you can create that situation
4: where you teach the kids how to do it. Understand it, understand it. It's just it's just a e- you look at it even during the exam weeks or nearing the exam weeks, the participation rate or even the training uh, attendance will have dropped quite a bit as well. So that's why the thing is, um, is, is about educating the parents as well. Not not necessary. You not necessarily must stop because it's an exam. But I mean, most of parents still have that mindset. Uh, exams are coming. We need to stop. We need to do this. We need to do that. Um, we have tried uh, getting parents to understand. Okay, some of uh, the, Some of them are already starting to understand, but um, most of them will still have that very fixed mindset. So oh. they must rest for exam.
0: Well, I, I understand a uh, parent. I would not fight against a parent, but yeah. you can create situations because you know I was there. And I remember my first year in April, my kids disappeared in the National Training Center without telling me. They disappeared for four weeks. I asked Gary, Gary, Times like, uh, where are the kids? He's like, oh, all these high school kids, don't worry, they're not coming. He's like, what the heck? They made a choice of being the national team. They're going to go to Junior Walls. They're going to go to the Sea Games. And now we take a month off. So I didn't say anything. I tried to understand them. But later on, when they came back, they wanted to take a vacation. And then was my time to scold them. they was like, nah, 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 stop. You can take a month off if you want for exams. But if you take a vacation now, I'm not sure if you're going to go to World Championships or the SEA Games. It doesn't matter what you think. And then they don't take the vacation.
3: Can
2: s- I, I have my input for, uh, I actually agree, right? I don't think there's a lack of competition here. I think it's just they're all the same format. Uh, the SSPA meets have been brilliant, uh, the lower level, kind of like, they're like the lower level version of the, what you would have been here for the time trial surgery. Um But they're all the same same format. We have the same problem in our international school circuit. All the formats of the meets are trying to replicate nationals or uh, like a, an individual kind of meet. We don't have any of these kind of short, well, we we do now. But on a small scale, uh, like short, fast, fun meets. I mean, when you look at, if you ask kids, if you ask a thousand kids, what do they not like about swimming competitions? Probably the one that comes up top is going to be because I don't want to be poolside for six hours.
3: So The first thing, like you said, if you
2: use a train, like we use our training sessions. Some some schools, when we have our sprint league, we have to sacrifice a, a training session in the week. But the meet takes an hour and a half to two hours, and I like just anecdotally what I've been seeing, uh, the, some kids who don't want us to race, like Sergio was saying, they don't want to race in these uh, big competitions, but suddenly they want to race, you know, hour and a half, they dive in, they score some points for the team, they jump out, the little kids kind of give them a little pat on the back, you know, they look up to them, you know, you don't really get these from the types of meets that we have available to us at the moment. We don't have, that's, that's what I feel. Um, there should be more. It's not the lack of meets; it's the format of the meets. We have too much of the same thing. That's then, you know,
0: then you change
2: them. And the other thing is, Andrew, I'm not going to try to correct you the way you talk. But
3: for example, when you say
0: that I have to sacrifice a practice to do that, you don't sacrifice a practice because you got a much more benefit from the kids that that didn't really want to go to compete but now they're more engaged and maybe two years on the road they're going to be the ones winning at uh, at the snag you know what i mean yeah, so sure. there, there's no sacrifice it's a choice that you make you know and and, and that's a training practice it's a very important training practice you know? like how many times you see kids at the time trial in, in january that they're 10 years old and they don't know how to dive in america when you have kids that don't know how to dive, they don't force them to be on the blocks. They allow them to dive from the side. And the referee, instead of disqualifying them, is going to walk to the kid, if they see them nervous, say, hey, calm down, don't worry, nothing's happening. And you know, they don't, they're not ruthless people that they disqualify a 10-year-old kid that hasn't had a chance to learn how to do things. Make sense? And you have to create those situations for your kids.
6: Some, something that I started to introduce with our guys is and it's obviously dependent on how big your programs are and things like that, but even just as simple as combining like my squad's primarily thirteen and overs, and I'll combine with a junior squad for um the last fifteen minutes of practice and we'll do relays and mix them all up into to mix teams, and all of a sudden they're getting a little bit of race practice with some of the older kids and it just kind of makes that that fun. I often get a lot more speed out of my guys in that situation because they're like, oh, the younger kids are here. We better show off for the younger kids. Um, and it just kind of creates that race environment without there even being a, a meet situation. So like I said, it's obviously dependent on, on the situation you have with um, your individual programs. But I know it's something that I started to include to sort of create that team culture, especially amongst different squads where they don't necessarily interact on a daily basis, and to get a little bit of
5: fast swimming and a little bit of fun at the end of a session.
0: Awesome. You know, there's no right or wrong way. It's just you just do something that you think is going to help the kids learn, you know, and I think whatever you do it's going to be good. So, uh-huh.
3: anybody else
0: wants to give their opinion on well, any of these guys? You know, I think going back to not the taper thing, but what's going to be the next thing to have a breakthrough in our sport? I think we're going we're gonna to get to find that out sometime soon because we're going to, if this, this pandemic continues or there's a second or third wave, we're going to be very limited in the way we're going to be able to train. So we're going to have to become very creative. And the people and the coaches, they're not so attached to the, the, the science of like, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. Even though you have to know the science, eh? because I, I'm a believer that you have to have an understanding of energy systems, how to set up a season, but that you are going to be, are you gonna know, trust the process and make the best out of every situation? They're gonna be the most successful, with no questions. And we're gonna see world records being broken, and people will be surprised, like, "Wow!" You know. You know, I have guys swimming faster than what than what I did, and if I put them through one week of my practice, they will be dead. They cannot do it. You know, and I was a pretty strong kid, so. What that does tell you, you know. So, so I think I think that's that's going to be a very interesting the next
3: the next year or so is going to be a very interesting for our sport. And yeah, the, the duration of the training as well really limits uh, not yeah really kind of makes a coach think about what are their priorities and what, what is it that they actually want to do. I don't think there's going to be probably like one hour of this long continuous swimming anymore so yeah it, it really makes you forces you to really think about what 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 is important in your, in your coaching oh i
0: i agree i agree 100 percent. you know you know i know for example i have joseph schooling in singapore training and he's been able to train at a pool on his own from a friend of his and i've been giving him practices of 2500 uh, 2,800 practice. And now he's gone back to the, to the National Training Center. I think he's gone two sessions there. And Stefan is telling me that, wow, he's in a really good place. He's in so much better place than he was before. And it's not about the physical side. It's about the mental side. It's about you take advantage of the situation. You try to relax a person. You try to make understanding that whatever you can do it's going to work. If you believe, it, you know, and it's a process. Yeah? And you're talking about a guy that uh, if he doesn't swim very well at the Olympics, a lot of people are going to criticize him. Yeah.
3: So it's it's, it's going to be very interesting. In the,
0: uh, yeah. no. Alright, guys. And if nobody else wants to talk about this, we can call it quits today. You know, Uh, I don't know if you guys have any other questions. Andrew, you brought up all this. I don't know if we answered all the questions, or would maybe make you a little bit more nervous about having to think about other things. You know, but uh, great. Thank you very much. uh, And and I think this was great to come out with something like this, and that opens up a, a better conversation than having something so specific that maybe we can, you know, I think what's important right now is just to exchange thoughts, you know, there's no right or wrong way, you know, but uh, I think if we exchange thoughts, we're going to find ourselves in a situation that's like, oh, wow, Andrew said this and maybe I can apply this now because this situation is this way. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Sergio. You're welcome, guys. You have a beautiful yeah, day. You. I'm gonna have go take a nap. Okay, thank you. Have a good rest. Bye um, bye. Bye bye. Thank you, Sergio. Definitely good discussion. Have a good night. Well, Thank you very much. Bye.